Hi everyone, I'm David Green, Managing Partner for the Insight 222 People Analytics Programme. Welcome to Episode 3 of Series 14 of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. My guest on this week's episode is Greg Harris, CEO of Quantum Workplace, which was founded in 2003 and has since emerged as one of the pioneers in the revolution of the employee feedback market. Greg believes that the economic value of employee feedback is probably equal to or greater than input from customers and that employee feedback is the first step in creating an inclusive environment. Greg also explains why employee engagement and performance management are two sides of the same coin. In our conversation, Greg and I discuss what modern employee feedback looks like and how it has evolved over the last 10 years. We look at how CEOs have used employee listening to drive communication to the workforce during the pandemic. And we look at how to drive action, behavior change, and a culture of inclusion from the insights arising from employee feedback. We also dig into how employee experience and people data is driving a similar change in HR to that customer experience and customer data has already done to the marketing function. And finally, we also look at how companies should approach performance management in the future. This episode is a must listen for anyone interested or involved in employee listening, employee experience, and the reshaping of performance management. So that's Chief Human Resource Officers and anyone in an employee experience, people analytics, culture, or HR business partner role. This series of the Digital HR Leaders podcast is sponsored by Quantum Workplace. Success starts with your people. When employees succeed, your business succeeds. Quantum Workplace equips organizations with the most reliable solutions for employee, team, and business success. Their employee engagement and performance management tools help organizations listen to, understand, and leverage their talent to move business forward. Quantum Workplace's intuitive platform includes employee surveys, goals, recognition, feedback, one-on-one meetings, and robust people intelligence and analytics. Quantum Workplace has partnered with thousands of best places to work on their talent strategies, including Fossil, DSW, Panera, Redfin, Getty Images, EKD, and more. To learn more, visit www.quantumworkplace.com forward slash Digital HR. That's www.quantumworkplace.com forward slash digital HR. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Greg Harris, CEO at Quantum Workplace, to the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. Welcome to the show, Greg. Thanks for being a guest. Can you provide listeners with a, a brief introduction to yourself and also to Quantum Workplace? Absolutely. Thanks, David. Thanks for the invitation. This is a lot of fun. It's great, uh, great to talk to you. My name is Greg Harris. I'm the CEO of Quantum Workplace. And Quantum Workplace is an employee feedback platform for employee experience. So Quantum Workplace helps collect, helps analyze, helps activate on voice of the employee throughout the organization. We help organizations drive employee experience through those three channels. And I think that's great because I know I know we'll get into this in the conversation because it's not just about collecting or even analyzing. It's about activating, isn't yeah. it? It's about taking action on, on, on what we learn. And yeah. um, so let's let's start by setting the scene a bit with employee feedback. You know, what does modern employee feedback look like and, and how is it different from say 10 years ago? Yeah, I love that. Modern employee feedback is, it, we know more. 
we know more about the hearts and minds of our people than we knew 10 years ago, than we knew 20 years ago. 10 years ago, the most progressive, the most attuned organizations, they had their ear on the ground. They were listening to their employees, but they were doing so probably through this massive annual research project. And they had scientifically proven items that were statistic, you know, had all these beautiful um, statistical uh, numbers attached to them. And we haven't gone away from that science, that science has carried through to the, the process that we have right now. But feedback today is more continuous. It's more real time. It is not so real time that we are, that there's noise that we're reacting to on a second by second basis. But the feedback that we're collecting, the feedback that we're activating on is aligned to the same decision timeframes that we are making other decisions on. They're monthly or they're quarterly or they're, they are tied to the start or the finish of projects that we are, that we are delivering. So today, feedback today is woven in the cadences of that feedback are woven into the rest of the business cycle. We don't monitor our financial success just on an annual basis. So we certainly don't monitor employee feedback on an annual basis, but that's one of the biggest changes. The other big change probably today versus maybe 10 or 20 years ago is what we care most about. We wanted to boil the ocean 10 years ago. We wanted to ask 80 or 90 or 100 questions and not leave any stone unturned. Today, we only want to ask the questions. We only want to poke around at the things that we know we can activate on, the things that we know are the most important items that drive loyalty, that drive advocacy, that drive discretionary effort within the organization. And so the last decade of this kind of research of the laboratories that's analyzing the psychology and the neuroscience of, of feedback have helped us create assessments, create tools, create rhythms in our feedback systems that are capturing that, that are pushing that insight to the right person at the right time. I, 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 it, it just dawns on me, I probably have five answers to that question, but it is... I don't know, it's really, I think, really good because it has changed so much, hasn't yeah, it? So. Yeah. The, the, 10 years ago, HR owned employee feedback. They are still probably the quarterback of employee feedback, but I would even say 10 years ago, they embargoed that data. They, there was a reason it took a month to do a survey, a month to see the results of a survey, and then another couple months to communicate out to the organization what, any, what, what if anything, was being done with the survey. Today, all of that has been crunched down. We don't have the luxury of a single team or a single person sitting on this treasure chest of insight. It has to get into the hands of the people that drive that engagement and that experience the most, and that's managers. So 10 years ago, feedback was an HR application. Today, enterprise feedback is a, is a organizational application. I guess as well, if I think back 10 years, um, which scarily doesn't seem that long ago, actually, in many respects, um, it's, it, it almost felt that the, the questions are very much framed towards the organization. Whereas now I think people care more about actually what employees think and the impact on employees of, of maybe the culture of the organization or how the organization behaves. It's a bit of a bit of a sort of shift in that, that direction as well, I think. No, I think that's exactly right. The idea of the movement around employee experience is the biggest thing that's happened in the organization since email. This is a 20-year trend that we are just now getting started on. And 
10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, we were curious, and it was probably a small subset of organizations. We were curious about engagement. We wanted to tap into that feedback, but it was still early. Organizations like mine that have been around for 18 years still had a lot of education to do. There were still a lot of people that asked, wait, do I really want to know what our employees think? Do I, uh, why do I want to do that? That seems to take a lot of effort. That sounds like it's going to cost money. What's the ROI on that? And there were all these ideological roadblocks to just tapping into the voice of, of, of our people. That educational work is for the most part done. It's not at 100% of organizations. It's not this aha moment where everybody is on the same page with that, but 80 or 90% of organizations, 10 years ago, it's probably 20%. Today, it is the vast majority of organizations just understand on the surface that we need to create an environment. This, this actually was exacerbated, it was accelerated in the last 12 months through COVID. You know, 15 months ago, a CEO might get in the way of HR saying, hey, we need feedback in place. We need to get smarter about the voice of the employee. And the CEO might say, well, I know what people think. I, yeah. I figure that out by walking out into the hallway and putting my finger into, you know, just observing the office. And, yeah. it, you know, last March when all of us went home for a while, we lost our ability to do that. And all of a sudden the C-suite was the, was the team that's like, wait a minute. Are, you know, are people too stressed? Are people, you know, working? Are they not working? Are they, do they like what they're doing? Are they overwhelmed? And, and all of a sudden there was this empathy that welled up through lack of physical visibility that increased the, the import of, of using digital tools to figure out what people are thinking. Yeah, it's been, inc- it's been incredible, actually. I mean, I know a lot of the companies that, that we work with are inside 222. So that's, primarily working with a people analytics leader in big global organizations you know that they've had to use these employee feedback tools you know throughout the pandemic they've had to be very agile about how they use them Um, and as you said a lot of it's been driven by questions from the ceo cfo senior people on the board basically saying how are employees feeling how are they coping what can we do Um, and they they do for the first time with a lot of these um executives they they don't think they know the answers. Whereas you said before, they thought, oh, yeah, I could just walk around the office and say hello to a few people and I'll get a sense of what how people are feeling. Whereas now, they, without these tools, they would be running blind effectively. No, that, that's exactly right. And we, workplaces responded to that too. The first 90 days of this work from home experiment, engagement levels, most of our data, you know, we, we, we have 2 million completed surveys uh, a year. So we have, which represents probably several hundred million different ideas, different data points. But overall employee engagement in North America saw record high levels in the first 90 days of, of pandemic. And that feels a little bit off. It feels a little bit different. And, and the skeptic might look at that and say, well, you know, everybody's engaged. You know, that's kind of the, the, in, the, 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 the rush that you get when you're sitting next to a lion. I mean, people, all of this change, organizational, societal, personal change is happening at the same time. And we feel engaged. We feel energized by that is that sustainable probably was the question that was happening but what we saw happening was rank and file employees were looking at increased effort for strategic communication increased empathy increased actual care from managers from senior leaders wanting to know how people were doing how people were coping how people were adjusting to all of this change in that 
is what that's what we point to and say that's what kind of swelled this idea of loyalty and this idea of of um, engagement within organizations yeah it's interesting isn't it i mean you know not clearly not every organization but you know many organizations maybe i would even argue the majority of organizations were pulling employee wellness at the center of their approach to the response to the pandemic in the early stages and i've I've, I'm actually seeing that carrying through quite a lot as well. And maybe all the things that, that you and, and, and your peers within your, within your industry, and as you said, you've been doing this for what's nearly 20 years now. You know, you've been saying all along, you know, you can, you know, if, if, you, if you have to drive a great employee experience, you will see the benefit from, you know, in terms of outcomes from customers, outcomes from financials, outcomes from, from you know, employee wellness, engagement, you know, better attrition, better retention, all those sorts of things. And it's almost like suddenly executives have thought, "Oh yeah, it, yeah, it, we're, we're actually going to we're going to follow that ethos." No, no, that's exactly right. It, five or ten years ago, wellness in the workplace was exercise challenges and step contests, and it was, uh, you know, maybe the the hope that healthier employees, physically healthier employees, will lower our 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 benefits claims or our health claims. Today, I think it's I, there. There is a there is a awakening about mental health in the workplace, and it probably the core of that is stress. As much as we love to say, in fact, our mission for all these years has been to make work better every day. We wake up, the people at Quantum Workplace wake up, thinking about our work and how it helps people um, at the center of their lives. The work is at the center of our lives and whether we like it or not, how we're doing at work, how we're feeling at work affects our personal life, our, our contribution to the community. It's rarely the other way around. And so if work is the epicenter, if work is what's pushing that effectiveness out in our personal lives, then we have to be thinking about, we have to be cognizant of the, the, the obstacles in mental health, you know, stress is probably the core of that in, in, in work. As much as it gives us the, the stroke of joy when we succeed, uh, it is, it is a, a large cause of stress in our lives also. And we have to be smarter about that as workplaces. I, I think we're early. We're very early into that game. Yeah, I agree. And I, and I think certainly we've seen that coming through the pandemic, yeah. you know, and I agree. I think great a lot of the tools that we're talking about here and getting that employee feedback, we understand the challenges faced by, you know, caregivers, by people that, you know, maybe are living in in accommodation where they're they're sharing the, the broadband with their kids, yeah. uh, with their partners. Um, you know, you've got all sorts of things going on in the background. We've we've certainly started to understand more about our employees' home lives and, and our managers' home lives for yeah. that matter than maybe we did before. What would be interesting is as you, you've, you've clearly seen a shift um, in, in terms of engaging with with clients, um, you know, perhaps there's an example you can share of, of an organisation that you work with who has delivered clear impact with this new approach to employee feedback. We think the the epicenter of employee feedback is a manager and employee relationship. It's kind of how we launched and started broadening our tool set back in probably 2015. We went from a measurement device of surveys and using surveys to score this thing called engagement to creating yeah. the digital tools that improve manager to employee relationships. So the so that that monthly check-in or that bi-weekly check-in, the one-on-one between manager and employees is the epicenter of that. We have a, a really cool client, it's a top 15 accounting firm in the US, BKD is what they're called, several thousand employees, but they came to us a handful of years ago. They 
they had an annual survey and they were doing annual employee reviews and, and they recognized that their business was changing at a pace that wasn't uh, where their, their, their feedback tools weren't keeping up simply by going from that annual review to a four time or, or a quarterly performance review for their people, for those performance conversations, yep. um, increased retention by a measurable, uh, measurable amount within, within 12 months. In fact, this is an accounting firm. So accounting firms re are really smart about their hours spent and the time spent and administrative tasks. Something counterintuitive happened when they went from all employees doing one annual review to four quarterly performance conversations, different than a root review, but a, a performance conversation. The administrative time that they had dedicated to those reviews actually went down. In other words, 4x the frequency of the review process Administrate and administrative burden of that goes down. There's, you know, it's it, it it's almost like cleaning your house. Yeah. If you wait till the end of the year to clean your house, it is going to take you longer, and it will be immeasurably nastier to do so. So, so simply solving for frequency improves performance, improves retention, and decreases amount of administrative burden on the process. Sounds pretty compelling to me. Yeah. That's for sure. And I think one of the things that um, we were talking about before we, we we started recording was around again how we've gone from these 80 to 90 questions as you said 10 years ago and let's be honest some companies are still doing that um and then, and it's not just about reducing the number of questions and, and making them the questions more focused on actually what we're trying to to drive but it's also go, also looking at open text questions as well and then and then getting some analysis from that it's almost like Again, you'll 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 recognise this probably from being in the field for such a long time. It's almost that we're playing catch up with marketing and the approach to to getting feedback from customers. You know, we 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 do yes, we do kind of you know uh, scores please score this one one to five whatever. But we also ask a lot of open text questions to get really rich feedback. Yeah. No, and that's that's been that that has evolved. Open text comments have, have evolved over the years. Speaking of HR quarantining or embargoing data is something that was much more common when all comments that were submitted for a 5,000 person company, you know, that could be a 50 to a hundred page document to read all of those comments. And you don't want to let those go dormant, but at the same time, you don't necessarily want to put all of those in the hands of managers to read verbatim. Because it tend, we tend to hone in on that one, you know, some employee on some team is going to say too much or name names or, you know, so, so to use natural language processing to put that, those comments into themes to score them based on positive versus negative or neutral is we are five, six years into some of that science and we're not at a hundred percent accuracy on having AI do that comment theming in the in the categorizations for us, but we are probably eighty five to ninety percent accurate. And it is changing. It's it's making that process more efficient. Managers that have a team of a hundred people aren't spending six hours on uh, you know on a late night anymore reading those forty pages of comments, but they can see the theming. They can see the positive. They're going to be able to see that change on a quarterly quarterly uh, quarterly basis. Uh, kind of time sequenced and know what ideas, what concerns are popping up and and, and getting quashed, squashed. I guess at the same time as the technology is improving, yeah. so are the skills within HR with the sort of emergence and growth of, of people analytics. And most people analytics teams are in HR. 
yeah, you've got a you've got the opportunity to to obviously work with partners like yourselves to to actually do that analysis, but also you've got those kind of data analysis skills, those NLP skills actually within HR teams themselves now to, yeah. to do some of that analysis as well. So it's it's a you know it's a nice nice confluence, I guess, of, of of skills and technology coming together. That's one of the most exciting things I think that's happening in HR right now. HR is a data field. I don't know if that was the case ten years ago. Maybe we thought it was ten years ago, but it probably wasn't. You know, we looked at finance, we looked at marketing, and we know they spent their lives in Excel, and we in HR spent our lives in PowerPoint and Word, probably. But that's changed, and and we're not talking about that change in a future uh, tense anymore. We're saying that's 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 real time now. HR leaders are data decision makers, database decision makers. Yeah, and, and not before time, I think so. That's for sure. Um, so, I mean, we talked about how the pandemic has really, you know, I, I guess has accelerated a change that was already happening anyway. Yeah. Um, so, it's it's employee listening is even more of a maybe a hot topic than it was you know 12 15 months ago before the pandemic you know let's talk about some of the key challenges for organizations when they're they're delivering effective employee listening strategies and what they can do to overcome them what do you think the biggest hurdles are the biggest hurdles probably haven't changed we we aren't overcoming different challenges today with with listenings the, the technology is the lubricant it's what makes everything easy in real time but yeah. the prioritization on what themes we want to ask for. We we see listening today as this two-way conversation between senior teams and employees. You know, we still have the problem today, which is the problem that our companies like ours have been trying to solve for for decades. Executive teams and leadership teams have a murky, fuzzy view of the perception of their people, and, and employees have a, a murky, fuzzy view of the perception of, uh, of leaderships. So we have, we have to bring those two things together. So separating signal from noise is still the biggest challenge in a listening strategy. And it gets to what we were talking about, David, about surveys of a decade ago or 90 item surveys. And, and we'll still do full deep dive assessments. Now that might be 35 or 40 items, but we know that by by the questions that we ask send a message of the things that we value. So if we ask questions about trust and in, in senior leadership, we are sending a message that we value trust and senior leadership. But we aren't going to ask questions that we know that we may not need to know or want to know or be willing to solve for in the future. So being very strategic about the questions that we ask, the cadence that we ask them, in and and that's probably still one of the biggest uh, one of the biggest hurdles. It's a it's a question about what, maybe not so much how and when. And I guess you know, you, you probably touched on another challenge. I guess that still is around there. You talked about actually listening analysis, and then you didn't say these words. You said for taking action. Yeah. You know, and. You know, uh, I've heard from a variety of sources, there's no such thing as survey fatigue, there's survey and action fatigue. <laughs> you know, what, you, what are some of the steps that, that organizations can take to drive action from this? So part of it is asking the right questions in the first place, yeah. clearly, and at the, at the right cadence as well. Yeah. You know, what are the other steps that, that, that organizations can take to, to drive action? It's agreeing on the, what, the, what the signal is. Um, in this round of, in this cycle of performance reviews, we learned that and it's, 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 it's understanding that data the same way we, we would, if we were understanding our customer data, the same would, 
we were, if we were analyzing our financial data, what is the story in the voices that we have collected? We don't need, it doesn't, it's not a one-to-one communication when we're looking at organizational feedback. It is what are the one or two things that are the most interesting in the data and the most actionable. Once we know what that is, then we communicate that out to the team. Before we decide what to do about it, we communicate to the entire organization or to the team or whoever was involved in the, in the feedback what we learned. And once we agree on what we learned, when, when employees say our organization doesn't do anything with, with, with our feedback, what they're usually saying, what they usually mean is our organization doesn't tell us what they learned. They don't, at the end of the day, feedback, you know, we talk a lot about, about inclusion and building inclusive environments. Feedback is step number one in creating an inclusive environment because by definition, inclusivity means that a person has been heard, a team has been heard, a division of the company, a, a group of employees has been heard. And yeah. so step one in, in dealing with feedback, before you even figure out how to solve a problem that services, you you communicate what you learn. Once everybody agrees on what the, then all of a sudden the expectation for that solution changes. It's all of a sudden I'm going to measure my organization's success in this by how they create a solution for that insight that takes the aperture down from this broad you know sea of data to something very narrow very specific and it will shape my perception one quarter from now six months from now 12 months from now when i'm asked a series of questions again so yearly you're going to action before we know what the solution is step number one is communicate what the insight is don't just yeah. think about it, because if we think about it, that could, uh, you know, that that will that'll be fleeting. Uh, you know, when, when I look at in my inbox and forget about it. But communicating out to the organization what the insight was and what was learned is the most important step, even more important than the absolute perfect silver bullet of a solution. And I guess that that helps you then around prioritization in terms of what are the, as you said, what are the what are the one or two things that really are going to resonate? They're going to really drive change and you know and, and and everything else and then i guess an important part of that communication is around how you communicate as you said tell the story so for example how important is data visual what how important is the data visualization aspects of, of employee feedback and employee listening program it's critical it's it's how we learn it's how we it's how we do storytelling uh, visualization is uh, it's why it's why we do board presentations in powerpoint and not tables uh, in, in in most organizations we need a visual to tell a story. And this is something that's evolved immensely in the last decade. Um, uh, we used to print out massive paperweights, you know, six inch uh, thick binders of charts and graphs doing the, doing the filtering, but a dashboarding feedback and in being able to connect the dots. We're not just talking about these big survey projects, being, being able to look at multi-point employee feedback. So it's the engagement survey. It's the pulse survey that was done about psychological safety last summer. It's the return to work survey that went out in March of this year when we first started putting the strategy in place to reopen the office. Having those all in one place and being able to visualize is step one, but it, it is, it, it is, it's, it's the step that comes right before crafting that into a, into a story and how to communicate that to the whole organization. Yeah, I suppose there's a saying that picture paints a thousand words for a reason, isn't yeah. there, at the end of the day? So, yeah. um, 
Actually, interesting point there around, um, you mentioned about return to workplace surveys. Obviously, you're probably doing that with a lot of your uh, clients at the moment. Are there any sort of aggregate aggregate sort of findings that you're seeing from that there's lots of talk about how we're gonna we've got a hybrid future people gonna be working more from home but it'd be interesting what the data's saying yeah it's it's a mess (laughs) that's not (laughs) i don't like that to be my answer on any kind of question but employees don't know what they want right now that's it that's at, at the end of the day that's the that's the reality we know from work from home that we feel isolated. We know we feel less connection to our team. We know that in most cases, we're probably more productive. We feel more productive. Maybe there's less, there's less balance in our lives. There's less distance between personal life and, and work life, and that creates stress. So we know all those things, and we say, I can't wait to be together. I can't be, wait to be shoulder to shoulder again. But if you ask me if I'm ready to come back to work five days a week, over half of employees say no. They say work workplace has changed. Those feel like two competing ideas. Like I'm isolated. I need social connection. Oh, go back to the office five days a week. Yeah, no, I'm never never doing that again. I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too. I want to work from the office when I want to, and I want to work from the coffee shop uh, when I want to, or from my living room, or from Costa Rica when I want to. And that's going to make a really big challenge in terms of space planning and office planning. So I. The, the only thing I think we're, cer- we're certain about is that the real estate world will change. We will yeah. architect, we will design our workplaces very differently uh, starting now. But I don't think we know. I'm not willing to say that we are moving closer to a work from anywhere world. Uh, I, 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 I have seen that chapter. I've read that chapter too many times in the last couple of decades where an organization you know, 2020 aside, we'll go to work from home. Uh, we'll take teams and work from home. And then within two or three years, they, they come back. There is something, there is incidental communication, incidental contact. There is serendipitous communication that happens in a workplace when people work side by side that drives creativity, that drives innovation. And so I, very few companies um, have been wildly successful being innovative and being completely remote. So Hybrid will be here, but what hybrid looks like right now, the talk about hybrid is, will I be in the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and somewhere else Monday and Friday? I've got a feeling that two years from now, our definition of hybrid will be much more nuanced, much more evolved than, than that. Yeah, I think it's, I think you're right. I mean, I've got a hypothesis that people are going to respond very differently now, having been, you know, and let's be honest, not everyone's working from home because yeah. some people have a, a gone back to the workplace yeah. or never left because they're, they're critical yeah. workers. So, you know, in this this element, I'm talking about people that have or more or less been exclusively working remotely. And I, I, I've got a hypothesis that people are going to answer very differently now to how they are answer maybe in six months, 12 months time when they are going back to yeah. the office for so many days a week. And, and that's going to cause companies a challenge, isn't it? Because as you said, there's going to be a lot of work around real estate. You know, maybe some companies will, you know, cut the number, the amount of office space they've got, particularly in very expensive cities. And they will reconfigure offices maybe for the type of work they think people want to do in the office or they think is best done in the office. So I guess it's going to be slightly more collaborative or innovative stuff. But some of this will be driven by employee preference, of course, and that, those employee preferences might change, as you say, because 
yes, we don't we do miss those serendipitous encounters that we get by the water cooler or in the kitchen or or, or whatever. And 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 yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be really interesting. And I guess you your you know the questions that you'll be asking your clients will be asking in their surveys will have to evolve yeah. to kind of to fit with that. Yeah, no, I I, I agree fully. Did you? It is a good question, really. I mean, I I I think that. I get the fact that executives, I think, are, are more now honed in on the importance of the employ- of, of listening to employees, and I think that was happening as we talked about before the pandemic. It's probably it's been definitely fo- a focus of the pandemic. And let's be honest, the pandemic's not over yet, and probably yeah. won't be for for a while yet. But do you think that this sort of renewed interest in in the voice of the employee, or this new interest in some cases, the voice of the employee, will last long term after the pandemic? One hundred percent. It is, we're, this isn't new um, and it's not going away. This isn't a phase. You know, it, it, I think I mentioned earlier, we, the, the idea that we are going to organize our workplaces by, based on to build loyalty and to build engagement, not just efficiency and productivity, that, that's a 20 year old idea and it's a, and it will be a 100 year old idea 80 years from now. It yeah. is the most revolutionary thing that's happening in the workplace. And so uh, the last 15 months has accelerated the digital tools that we use to facilitate that and yeah. our reliance and our acceptance and our deployment of those tools. But it uh, it hasn't changed. and it, it It is here to stay. Organizations will live or die based on the cultures they create. And it's not just voice of the employee. It's understanding the relationship between voice of the employee and performance of the employer, performance of the team. Employee engagement and performance management are two sides of the same coin. We saw them as different things. Five years ago, HR departments had separate you know, separate leaders or separate managers for engagement than they did performance. Those two things create virtual cycles or, or, or circles or, or, or vicious circles. Uh, and they need to be talking to each other. So the, 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 re, the reinvigoration of, of voice of the employee, of listening in the last year is here. It's, it's here forever. Like it or not, it's here forever. Thankfully. And, and as, you, as you said earlier, the, the key thing in both of those areas, which clearly should be together, is the manager. You know, the man, the manager is a critical point, yeah. really, isn't it? In, in helping drive engagement and yeah. and the the right culture, and then the performance that that, that comes out of that. Employee experience is in being in the space. We when when the CEO of Microsoft two months ago announces a new product release and says that employee experience technology is a day one opportunity. Yeah, as a as a small Midwestern growth software as a service company, I get terrified that Microsoft wants into our space. I'm terrified for about 15 minutes. And then I realize, oh, wow, what the, the pump that we have been priming, that we have been building for 20 years is just now starting to hit the S-curve. It's just now starting to, to create mass adoption. And that is, that, that's exciting. That's why I can confidently say we're not going, um, we're not going back. The organizations will organize themselves for that loyalty. They will make decisions. The, the employee experience category is probably five to eight years behind what the customer experience category was. You know, Companies like Qualtrics, like SurveyMonkey, like Medallia built huge businesses on, 
on capturing data, driving action for customer experience for marketplace insight. Uh, yep. Employee, it, it is now employee experience's time to do the same. EX is a, is probably five to eight years behind CX, but I would argue that ultimately the value, the economic value of our employees' feedback, is equal to or greater than the economic value of any single customer. Uh, feedback. They are the long, they create the long tail, the long opportunity in our innovation, in our, our customer loyalty. So it's, this is a, this is a secular trend that we'll see for decades to come. I think you're right. I mean, you mentioned obviously Microsoft kind of entering a space, I guess they entered it via LinkedIn's acquisition of Glint and, and then all the work that they've subsequently done in terms of bringing in some of the passive data that they've got from some other acquisitions they've made and other technologies they've already got. You've seen, obviously, SAP make a, a huge splash in this space by acquiring Qualtrics then, mm-hmm. and then putting a bit of it, um, uh, listing some of it. Um, you, you've obviously worked there, have spent a huge amount of, uh, of money on PCOM recently. I mean, your space is arguably the place to be in yeah. HR technology at the moment. Yeah, Microsoft doesn't chase small opportunities. They're, they're no. at their at their scale. They're past looking for little niche markets with which to differentiate. As I say, your space in in, in HR technology is probably the space to be at the moment. So it must be, uh, you know, as a CEO of a company in this space, it must be an exciting time. It is. It's thrilling. It's uh, it's it's funny. I you know I I, I think of a couple of years ago uh, the Lumineers. Um, as a band and and they get a Grammy for new artist of the year and, and they bring the lead singer up of the band to say, how do you feel? You know, and, and he's looking in the camera and he's like uh, new artist of the year. I, it feels kind of weird since we've been touring for 10 years. So yes, we are on the very forefront of this opportunity of the S curve of growth, but it is, we have paved the way, not just quantum workplace, but a handful of other firms have been paving this path and building this language and the science and the data and the, and the tooling um, uh, for some of this. Like I think about our one-on-one product. We built our, one, our digital one-on-one product almost to facilitate a face-to-face manager-to-employee conversation. It helps you prepare for it. It helps manager-employee both kind of blind set their agenda take some notes and then come in after the conversation to document so that you can align to make sure what was said is actually what was heard and being activated on. March of 2020, our digital one-on-one product became this asynchronous actual one-on-one. It became the conversation. And then to have 12 of those over the course of the year, when an employee goes into that one annual conversation where they're going to be, where they're going to talk about or build a case for their performance uh, bonus or their raise, they have real data, real visualization, real feedback that they've collected. That is different today than we've ha- than than we've ever had. The, the 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 balance of power within an organization, the balance of data, will will always follow the balance of data, and we have more balance of data uh, within organizations than we ever have. Well, Greg, unfortunately, we come to the last question, um, and it's one we're asking everyone uh, on this series. Um, you know, many companies have. And we've talked about forms actually. I think I know what the answer might be, or part of the answer might be this. Many companies have done away with their annual performance management cycle over the last few years. You know, we talked about some of the reasons why, but we haven't seen a new consistent model uh, replace it as quickly as maybe some people expected. How do you think companies should approach performance management in the future? I think there comes a day where we start to, we, we we lose the language of performance management. We start talking about performance conversations. We start talking about coaching. You know, 
whether where you're in the UK, I'm in the US, wherever you are in the world, humans love athletics. And we, one of the things we love about athletics is we, we love observing people perform at their best. We even love coaches standing on the sidelines, providing performance feedback in real time and making adjustments. The, the next phase, the phase that we're in right now for performance management is number one, changing the frequency. We talked about this already, changing the frequency with which we think about this. Performance management is less about any single score and it's more about the expectations and the alignment and the goals that we are tracking throughout the year. So we have to look, any business has to look at how they do reporting. Do you do quarterly reporting? Do you do annual reporting? Do you do monthly reporting? Do you, you know, look at your months. If you are, if you have board meetings every three months or quarterly, look at every month as a period in a game and the quarter is the game and the year is the season. So every season has four, uh, four games and every game has three periods. That's how we build our employee listening. And we couple our employee listening with the performance measures that we are listening to voice of the employee and listening to is a, you know, it helps employees know what the organization is valuing and what they want to get feedback on. And it, and it, helps us understand any obstacles that are standing in the way, but attaching it to the goals that we're doing, the recognition that's happening throughout organizations when employees all over, uh, all over a company are giving this team praise or this person praise, that is data, that's ambient data. It becomes really valuable in the performance process. So it is multiple sources of data all creating the same visualization that a manager and an employee has in one place for one conversation. That is the future of performance management. Great. What a, what a perfect way to end, end our discussion, Greg. Thanks for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. How can listeners stay in touch with you, uh, maybe follow you on social media, and how can they find out more about Quantum Workplace? Absolutely. appreciate that opportunity. QuantumWorkplace.com is where you can find us, Gregory Harris on LinkedIn or Twitter. That's at Gregory Harris is where you can find me or simply greg.harris at quantumworkplace.com to keep conversations going. I appreciate the time, David. A big fan of your show and and your team. I think you guys are doing very important work in in our space. Well, thank you, Greg. And likewise, likewise. So uh, it's been great to have you on the show. Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks, David. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. You can subscribe via your podcast app of choice. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show on your podcast app and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. If you haven't already, do check out the MyHR Future Academy at myhrfuture.com. It's a learning experience platform for HR professionals looking to get certified in people analytics, digital HR, and workforce planning. You can also subscribe to my weekly newsletter by going to the MyHR Future website. That's all for this episode, but please make sure you tune in next week when we'll be speaking to Melissa Corwin, Vice President of Employee Experience at AT AT&T, about the relationship between business transformation, culture, and performance management. So don't miss that one. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and I'll see you next time.